Shalom, and welcome back to Spirit Living. This week, our guest is Ethan Whiteley, who is a college freshman at the University of Arkansas, who I've had the privilege to know these past few months. He is studying supply chain management, and he has a very encouraging story to tell of enduring and taking joy in physical sufferings. I'm very pleased to have him onto the podcast. So, Ethan, welcome. Well, Ethan, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. I wanted to start out the same way I've started out all of these conversations with asking the question of what Bible verse has been most impactful to you in your life and why? Yeah, so thank you for having me. Um, of course. So I'd say that the most impactful Bible verse for me um, is probably 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. Uh, I'll go ahead and, and read that. It's it says, uh, and I'm using the CSB translation. Uh, but my but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So uh, this verse, the context of this passage is Paul is in prison, and um, he has some affliction. We're not really sure what it is. Uh, He calls it his thorn in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see that earlier in the passage, and uh, Paul is praying to God, and he, he has asked God three times that the Lord would take this this thorn in his flesh, this uh, thing that keeps bothering him, that mm. he would he'd remove this the suffering from his life, and uh, God's answer to him is that His grace is sufficient, and that He is not going to take away this pain that Paul is in, and that the weakness that Paul is experiencing is actually going to be used for God's glory, and that God uh, is is going to use this moment to to make strengthen Paul's faith essentially. The reason that that this has been applicable in my life is because as we'll get to later I'm sure I uh, I was born with a disability and uh, weakness has been a part of my life on a daily basis. I relate to Paul talking about his weakness and and how he wishes that the Lord would remove it from his life. But ultimately, the Lord is going to use this weakness for his good. So in our culture, uh, weakness is something that um, is looked down on yeah. by by the culture. And nobody wants to be weak. Um, weak people are at the bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> and um, and everybody, we, we kind of live in a culture that... that despises weakness and, and does everything to try to avoid it, especially uh, in men. Uh, and so what's ironic about this passage is that Paul is actually boasting in his weaknesses. Yeah. He's actually saying that people that are the weakest, when their faith is in God, are actually the strongest. And people that think that they're the strongest are actually the weakest. And yeah. that God's grace is sufficient to make even the weakest people strong and that God's power is actually, you know, made manifest in our weaknesses. So in my life, I've gone back to this passage and, uh, whenever I feel weak, whenever I feel the, 
embarrassment or or the inferiority of my physical weaknesses i i can look back and say you know god's grace is sufficient and and his power is made perfect in my weakness Uh, my weakness is actually uh strength to him because if i god's glory is not made known in my strength um god's glory is not made known in in human strength people don't look at it people that are really strong and, and see God's glory. All they see is the glory of the person that's claiming to be strong. Exactly. Um, but whenever we see a person that's weak, God's power is actually manifest through that. And um, so it's just, it's comforting to me to know that um, there are times that God does not remove the suffering in our lives. Yeah. Uh, there are times when, when he says no, when we ask him uh, to bring us out of a situation that's really painful. Um, but God's grace is sufficient, and that weakness that we have, it actually serves for His glory. So. Yeah. And I feel like you had mentioned earlier, it's kind of a, a Darwinian idea of society today where the strongest will survive, and you want to be strong, like that's exalted, whereas weakness is looked down upon. You don't, you don't want to be weak. And especially in front of other people, like don't show your weaknesses before other people. But that's not what we're told to do. That's not what God says to do. Yeah, I think we have an epidemic of people that are afraid to be vulnerable and that are afraid of being perceived as weaker uh, than than their peers. Um, Because all that we see from media is is people that um, are incredibly, you know, physically fit or people that... Um, that are boasting about their their strength, and yeah. so weakness is not something that that is really tolerated in yeah. our culture. And how do you think we can play a part in fixing that? So I think probably the biggest thing that we can do is just remind ourselves that God uses weak people. Uh, another another passage that comes to mind whenever I think about this idea is actually in First Corinthians one, where Paul is talking about how. Mm. Um, you know, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, but yeah. God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong so that no one can boast in the presence of God. God does not despise weakness in the same way that we do as a culture. He actually sees it as an opportunity to make his yeah. glory known. So Yeah. Exactly. He, he exalts it instead and says, yeah. says those who humble themselves will be exalted. And just like you had mentioned at the very beginning, his power is made perfect in our weakness. Exactly. So honestly, embrace the weakness. Like, don't try to exalt your own strength because when you do that, you're trying to glorify yourself and you're not bringing glory to God. And that's what Paul goes on to say. Therefore, I will most gladly boast in all the more about my weaknesses mm-hmm. so that Christ's power may reside in me. Yeah. It's, it's admitting your failures and admitting your faults, but saying that God's overcome those that ultimately he's, he's in charge. Ultimately he's the one to be exalted. Yes. And what you alluded to earlier, we will talk about that later on, but you are a college freshman and you're now in your second semester so what have you learned about yourself, but also about God? Like, what has God taught you through this experience of now coming into college? Yeah, so the biggest thing that I feel like God has taught me is just how good He is. 
I have been repeatedly just blessed time and, and again this semester just with uh, I've been given a, a community of friends that I really uh, appreciate and that have been so kind to me. Um, and I've just, I've seen God's faithfulness to me and just yeah. his sustaining work in my life as I have, you know, tried to juggle um, classes and, and making friends and uh, and work and yeah. um, all of those various aspects of life, just trying to juggle them all. And uh, I've just seen the Lord be good to me through all of that. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned about myself is the necessity of balance in your life, uh, especially yes. as a college student. Um, because for, in my life, there, there's, there's really three big components to it. Uh, one is my school, my education. Uh, the other is my job. And then the other is my relationships. And all three of those things are important. And probably the biggest thing that I've learned is that there is a very delicate balance between all three of those things. And if you want to be successful in college, you have to learn to juggle all three if if that is applicable to you. Uh, I know not all people work in college, but um, whatever the big things in your life are, obviously, for if you're in college, then college itself is a big thing. And I think for most people, they would say that relationships are a big part of their life. So, uh, I just learned that you have to give an equal amount of time to all three and not prioritize one over the other, because if you prioritize your school over your friends, then you will be successful in school and you may not be happy in your relationships. Or if you prioritize your relationships over your uh, education, then you're going to be failing in school (laughs) or maybe not failing, but you're, you're going to be struggling in school. And as a result, that will just make everything worse because if you give too much attention to any one area, it puts stress on all the other areas. Mm -hmm. So if I give too much attention to my friends, that puts stress on my school and on my job. And if I put too much stress on school, then that puts too much, that throws, the whole thing out of balance and all of a sudden I feel miserable in my relationships and at my job as well. So, um, it's just making sure that you maintain a balance there. Yeah. And how have you been able to maintain a balance between all, all three of those, but also while recognizing that God is the priority and then everything else is, is secondary. The biggest way I've been able to do that is just, well, for starters, making sure that I'm in the word every single day is incredibly important and making sure that I have a time to do that. My first semester, I had early classes and that was a struggle for me because I, uh, morning, the morning was when I usually, um, was in the word. And so whenever I had to go to class every morning, I was often neglecting to get my time in the word done. So uh, this semester, I have taken my classes in the later part of the morning uh, so that I can wake up and uh, be in the Word. I usually go on a walk every morning uh, with my dog about a mile uh, just so that I can exercise and and listen to the Word and and pray and um, make sure that I'm getting in the essential part of the day before I start. Um, Because if you don't have that foundation 
then it's really hard to do the big things in your life. Yeah. I always notice a difference between days when I do start out reading the word and having a quiet time and days when I don't. Like I've always noticed kind of a difference. Have you experienced that too? I have. Every time that I am in the word in the morning, um, I feel so much better going about the day. And I feel a lot happier. I feel a lot more uh, accomplished and ready to take on the day. And ultimately, it, it makes the day more successful. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's a greater joy with it when you, when you start the day in the right way. How have you been involved in ministries throughout your life? And what are you currently with right now? So I've been going to uh, University Baptist Church in Fayetteville uh, for most of my life. And uh, I've been involved there. I was involved there all through high school. I was an active part of that church, and I served it for a long time, um, all the way up into college, and I, I still go there. And when I started college, the, the crazy thing about college is that there are so many opportunities for you to serve in various ministries. Yes. Uh, and so that was one of the biggest things that I had to learn to deal with was that mm. there was so much that I could have done. There was so many opportunities, and I had to make sure that I picked out the ones that I thought were the most beneficial, that I enjoyed the most, and that uh, I thought were the most impactful. Because you cannot do everything. Yes. I quickly learned that uh, you cannot do all the things that are available to do. Yeah, and that that is a hard lesson to learn, but (laughs) an important one nonetheless. And how have you been involved with, with serving with local churches and ministries? So I am an active part of the Baptist Collegiate Ministry. Uh, It is a ministry that serves uh, specifically college students uh, um, on campuses across the state of Arkansas. And I got involved there um, right from the start of the semester. And the people there have just been so kind to me. Uh, I found a community there that I had never experienced before in in my life. It's just the people there were incredible. Um, I found myself being there all the time, and uh, I built some great relationships. That's awesome. So this podcast is called Spirit Living. So I'm I'm curious from your perspective, what does it mean to live according to the Spirit as a college student? So I think that... um, the term living by the spirit is something that confuses a lot of people. And, um, it's something that I wish that the church spoke more about, um, and gave more clarity into, because I think it's incredibly important for me. I would say that living by the spirit means that you live influenced by the Holy spirit that lives inside of you as a Christian. Uh, cause we know that when we, become Christians, uh, the Lord gives us his spirit and, um, the Holy spirit is an active part of guiding us, of comforting us, of giving us joy and, uh, convicting us of sin often. And the way that the Holy spirit often works is through the word. So, yeah, I think the most important part of living a spirit filled life is just being in the word every day. Uh, there's a passage that talks about this in Ephesians five it says, uh, Ephesians 5, 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord, the will of the Lord is. 
And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. I think that this whole passage gives us an example of what it looks like to live by the Spirit. People that live filled with the Holy Spirit uh, they speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. They give thanks to the Lord for everything. They submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Being uh, filled with the Spirit just means that you are under the control of the Holy Spirit, and He is a, a powerful influence in your life um, as you go about your your day-to-day routines. And um, I heard uh, a sermon one time that... Um, he said that people that are filled with the Spirit, you can't tell where they end and where Christ begins. That they are so intertwined with Christ by the Holy Spirit that that their lives and their actions, you you can't tell where Christ ends and they begin. Um, and that that's what that's what I want for my life and uh, what I think it really means to be filled with the Spirit is just that you're under the dominating power of the Holy Spirit all the time to where every outflow of your life, all of your natural knee-jerk response is what Christ would do and what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Well, exactly, yeah. And, and your life becomes Christ. Like as Colossians talks about a lot, your life becomes Christ. As you had mentioned earlier, you can't tell where where Ethan the person stops and where the Holy Spirit, where, where God himself uh, begins. So you had alluded to it earlier, but um, several months ago, I, th- I believe you were the first person I actually told about wanting to start a podcast. I- I'm pretty sure you were the very first one. Um, and it happened over lunch one day when we were talking about our next topic. You gave me permission to talk about this beforehand, but you do have a physical disability, as you had mentioned. If you would explain to our audience a little bit about what it is, like and how it developed and changed over time and what impacts it had on you physically. So I was born with something called arthrokyposis, which is a joint disability. Um, it essentially inhibits the range of motion that I have in a lot of my joints, specifically my knees and my elbows and my ankles. Um, and it also affects the muscle groups that surround those various mm-hmm. joints. Um, particularly in my arms and legs. When I was born, the doctors told my parents that I would actually never be able to walk. Um, That was something that uh, was scary for them um, because most people that have the disability that I have, they can't walk. Um, In in every case, arthrogyposis presents itself differently. So there are no two people alive who have the exact same symptoms of the disability that I have. So mine is unique to me. But uh, a common denominator is that a lot of them cannot walk um, and, or cannot you know, brush their own teeth or um, yeah. because the severity of it varies from person to person. Um, and again, it was something that I was born with. As I uh, grew up, though, um, I kind of shocked the world whenever I uh, took my first steps. And 
it really surprised my parents and my physical therapist. I was in physical therapy my entire life, you know, all the way up until I was 18 years old. Um, I'm not in it anymore, but um, throughout my whole life, I was I was in physical therapy. Uh, and as I grew up, I had a pretty happy childhood. Um, I really didn't think of myself as any different than anybody else. Uh, I knew that I was different. I knew that um, I knew that I had this disability. I knew that uh, I went to physical therapy three times a week, and most other people in my life did not. But yeah, in elementary school, I didn't really feel like I was any different than anybody else. I was actually, I actually thought I was pretty cool because um, they let me take the elevator instead of climbing the stairs. Uh, And I always got to bring a friend with me. And I just thought that that was the coolest thing in the world. Uh, And that I, I got to ride the elevator and uh, bring a friend. Uh, I had to pick a different person every time. So Um, (laughs) um, I came to know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior when I was seven years old. Um, I grew up in church my whole life, um, and when I was seven, the Lord really um, put it on my heart that it was it was time that I was a sinner and that I needed uh, forgiveness. And um, so one night when I was seven years old, um, reluctantly, but uh, after after a lot of the Lord working on my heart, uh, I gave my life to Christ. And, um, and I became a Christian in that moment. Um, and I have followed the Lord ever since, but starting out, uh, things seemed easy. Uh, I didn't really, my, my disability didn't really seem to affect my life very much. I could do pretty much everything that a normal kid could do. I couldn't play sports. That was not something that I was ever able to do, but, um, up until about middle school, that was not really something that people were doing in any serious way anyway. Um, However, when uh, my teenage years started, this was when things got a little more difficult. Um, All of a sudden, people started growing really fast. Um, uh, Another part of my disability is that I'm not super tall. Um, I'm shorter than both of my parents. Um, I'm not crazy short, but I, uh, I am shorter than, than pretty much most people that I meet as a result of the disability. And, um, uh, I also significantly weaker due to the fact that the disability affects my joints and the muscle groups that surround them. Uh, I'm just a lot weaker in, in a lot of my, uh, in a lot of the muscles that are in my arms and legs. So, um, that became more prominent as I went through middle school and high school, I started comparing myself to other people. For the first time, I began to realize that there was something different about me. Mm. Um, Something that I'd always known was different, but had never really experienced. And um, I began to feel inferior. I began to feel unlovable because of my weaknesses and because of um, my disability, I I began to, the way that I viewed myself changed. And um, I began to challenge some of the things that I had always been taught because I felt inferior to other people. um, I began to doubt that, that God loved me 
and I began to doubt that God was good. You know, at this time I was a Christian. I I've been taught that God was good and that and that God loves us. And um, for the first time, I started to doubt that. Hmm. I began to ask questions like, "Well, if God was good, then why did this happen? Yeah. Or if God loved me, then why did He let this happen to me? That didn't make sense." And um, the pain that I felt only increased as the years went on um, because my peers became stronger and stronger and I just grew more and more insecure. What I couldn't do became more evident and um, I became, I started being really embarrassed just about myself and about the way about my limitations about the way that I walk um because I do walk with sort of a limp and um no one ever bullied me I was not bullied because of it but um I bullied myself over it uh I was my own bully and um I just remember one night whenever it fully became clear to me how different I was. I just went before the Lord and said, God, I don't understand why this is happening to me. God, why have you done this? Why have you cursed me? Was what I thought. Why me? Why not someone else? Um, What did I do to deserve this? And the truth was I I knew the answers to a lot of those questions because I grew up in church and I knew the whole the church answers. You know, I was the kid in Sunday school that that always knew the answer, uh, and I knew the answers to these questions too. But that didn't help. Yeah. Um, and eventually, I, I just I cried myself to sleep that night. I couldn't, I couldn't bring anything before the Lord but my tears. And there were several nights like that that were really hard. On top of all of this, I was lonely. Uh, I didn't feel like I had a ton of friends during this time, uh, and I didn't really feel like I was deserving of friends. Mm. I felt unlovable. Um, And so this really drove me to the scriptures, and I would say that the fact that I went to the scriptures has been probably the greatest evidence of my salvation Um, because I was saved during this time. Mm. But um, the thing that often reveals whether our faith is genuine, is where we turn in trials. Yes. Um, some people in the midst of really hard times turn to God, uh, and others will turn away from Him. And this experience really turned me to the Scriptures, and I I needed answers that were better than the ones that I had been given uh, in Sunday school, and I needed to actually uh, see what the Bible had to say for itself. And so I, I began reading the Bible in a way that uh, I had never done before. Um, I really studied the scriptures, and I, I listened to sermons. I read every single day, and uh, I became biblically literate and was able to really know what the Bible said about suffering. And one of the things that I learned that was probably the most helpful uh, has been just that sometimes the Lord does not take away your suffering. Um, and sometimes your suffering doesn't always get better because, um, I would, I just thought that I would 
wake up one day and I wouldn't feel insecure anymore. Um, and that all of this pain wouldn't, would just go away. Um, but that's not what happens. Um, that's not what happens often in really difficult times. Uh, we see numerous examples in scripture where the Lord does not take away his people's suffering. Um, that verse that we like to quote all the time, Jeremiah 29, 11, um, that I have plans to prosper you and to bless you. And I, I don't remember the entire verse, but, um, that the context of that verse is given in a, in a time in scripture when Israel is being sent into slavery in Babylon for 70 years. And the people that Jeremiah is saying this to are going to die in slavery. Most of them, um, their suffering will never be, will never end, uh, in this life. And so I guess when people ask me like, how did you overcome the suffering? Well, I haven't yet. Uh, and I won't until I get to heaven. Uh, so you can ask me that when I get to heaven, I guess, because <laughs> uh, I'm still in the midst of it. Uh, but I have learned a lot about the Lord through it. And I'd like to think that um, while often what I've learned isn't immediately apparent in the suffering, um, the Lord is making me into the person he wants me to be. And gradual, slow changes have, have made me uh, more and more uh, conformed to his will for my life. So, yeah, that that's kind of my story. Yeah. So how are you able to not overcome the suffering, but find some way to take joy in it? Because we're told multiple times in the New Testament, such as in James, like, rejoice in your sufferings. How were you able to do that? Yeah, so that was probably the hardest part of doing this. Uh, I remember reading that several times and just thinking that I found that verse incredibly insulting almost. Yeah, understandable, (laughs) honestly. I thought, how could God ask me, how could God do this to me and then ask me to be happy about it? Um, And I would say the biggest way that I've learned to be joyful in the midst of this suffering is just remembering what God has in store. Um, Hope is how you achieve joy. And uh, hope leads to joy. So I had to remind myself a lot where I'm going. Yeah. And um, that my pain is temporary. And I can rejoice now. I can go through life. I can endure trials and I can rejoice in the Lord because I know that he is going to take away my suffering and this will not last forever. The disability I have, disabilities in general, were not the way that God wanted the world to be when he created it and that he is actively working to redeem all the creation to himself, as Colossians 1 says. Um, So I can find joy just in the fact that... uh, I have a hope, and I'd say that's probably helped me the most as I've tried to find joy in my suffering. Yeah, the recognition that it is ultimately temporary. Um, we've we've talked about the show The Chosen before many times. Excellent show. Um, and in this latest season, season three, in episode two, 
there's one of the disciples in the show is portrayed as having a physical disability, James. And in that episode, there's a really powerful scene where he finally confronts Jesus about it. Jesus is is sending out his disciples two by two to go um, heal other people and cast out demons. They've been given the authority to do so, but James is still there with his physical disability. And finally, he asks Jesus, why have you not healed me yet? And from our conversation, like it, it's clear that you have asked God that question before, and I've asked God that question many times before, but Jesus's response is amazing. And it's a lot of what you were saying. The biggest thing that Jesus says when James asks him, why have you not healed me yet? Jesus says, because I trust you. You have a better story to tell than a miraculous healing. I trust you with it. Your story is better because you still choose to praise God in spite of all of this. I don't trust that with many people. Many people need healing before they will believe in me, but you don't. And then he has some some amazingly comfortable words. One day in heaven, you will leap like a deer and your reward will be great. So hold on a little longer and do great things in my name in spite of this. Because remember, one day you will be healed. Shalom, my son. Yeah. Yeah, that was an incredibly powerful uh, episode for me when I watched that. Um, I really like how they handled that in yeah. the show. It was there was another part in there uh, when Jesus is talking to little James. He uh, he says, "You may not be the most physically impressive mm-hmm. person of the twelve, but that's not something that God cares about. Yeah, um, or that's not something that the Father cares about." And that kind of hurts whenever you hear that. Hmm. Um, it kind of hurts to, to you know, hear, well, does God not care? You know, but hmm. whenever you think about it, whenever, whenever I heard that for the first time, um, it just helped me realize there is so much more to this. Yeah. Our suffering is important to God, and he feels our pain with us. So... I don't want to make little of the suffering that we are going through. Yeah. But I think what that what they were trying to say when they when they said that was that God's concern goes so far beyond just yes. um how we look on the outside. Yeah. Uh, because in the grand scheme of things that's not important and yeah. and God can see that. And sometimes we can't. Sometimes our perspective of the world is so skewed by our own paradigm that we live in that we can't see things clearly and God does see things clearly. So, yeah. And it's like you said, it's not diminishing the fact that it exists and that it still is something to be struggled through, but it's a recognition that there's so much more. There's so much greater and that one day in heaven we will be healed completely. So you had mentioned earlier in there that there's kind of a temptation to doubt God's goodness, essentially. How have you wrestled through that in your mind? Yeah, so um, I did feel a lot of temptation at times, and uh, sometimes I still do, just to distrust that God is good and to distrust that God loves me. Um, And I have to deal with both parts of that temptation. So whenever I'm tempted to think that God is not good, 
uh, I have to look back at the way God intended this world to be. Um, because we know from Genesis that God created this world good. It says that in Genesis 1, that uh, when God made this world, it was good. There was no such thing as a physical disability or uh, any kind of physical imperfection. That just didn't exist. God didn't make the world like that. And one of the things that is most encouraging to me is that I know God is good because this is not what he wanted for me. Yeah. And I know that God is actually doing something to make this better. A lot of the times I think to myself, you know, if God really cared, he would be doing something about this. Mm. And uh, the truth is, he is. That's why he sent Jesus. And that was the whole point of, of his coming, was to redeem this world from sin and from the effects of sin, one of which is a disability, or the disability that I have uh, in particular. So I don't know why God let this happen. I don't know why I was born this way. But... I can be content not knowing the answer to that question because I know the answer to the question of what is God doing about this. And uh, the truth is he is working right now to redeem all of the creation to himself. And another part of the temptation is that God just doesn't love you. He just doesn't care. And God's love has been a really hard thing for me to wrestle with is just Mm. how how do I know that God loves me? And um, one of the biggest things that I have learned about that, particularly in the past year, is that God's love is not often what we think that it is. We tend to make God's love all about ourselves. Um, When we hear the, the term, the love of God, we tend to think that that just means God is making much of us. And that's not what we see the love of God being portrayed as in scripture. God's love is about God. Um, And it's meant to lead us to God and to help us to see God's glory. And we see this particularly in the, in John 12, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in that passage, Jesus intentionally lets Lazarus die in sickness Uh, and it makes a note, John makes a note in there that Jesus loved Lazarus, uh, and he let him die. How does that, how does that work? You know, that doesn't make sense. But the thing that we can learn from that story is that God's love is to help us see his own glory because that's what happened with Lazarus. Jesus raised him from the dead. And, uh, as a result of that, people glorified God. And God got even more glory from raising him from the dead than he would have if he had only healed him. Um, And so I guess the biggest thing we can learn from this passage is that the love of God is not a tool to boost our self-esteem or to increase our own egos. (laughs) Uh, uh, Whenever we hear the term the love of God, we shouldn't think, oh, God loves me. I'm so special. We should think, oh, God loves me. Praise God. Exactly. Yes. So um, that's probably another huge part of what I've learned just about the love of God is that it's not about me. And whenever I, yeah. whenever I say that, whenever I say that God loves me, I'm not saying that He's going to always give me whatever I want. God's love means that He's going to 
do whatever he has to do to help me to to uh, see his glory. Yeah. So, and what advice would you give to people who are out there struggling in different ways, whether that be a physical disability or maybe a, a mental disability or just the struggles of everyday life? What advice do you give to people in the midst of those really hard times and those those wrestlings with God? Yeah, I think the temptation there is to give up a lot of the time. Definitely. And um, that is the worst thing that you can do is yeah. give up. So I would say, hold on. Uh, keep the faith. Keep trusting in God. E- endure. Because um, a lot of... A lot of the suffering that we go through doesn't make sense. And I can't give an answer for why certain things have happened to certain people. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know why this has happened to me. But what I do know is that we have a hope in heaven. Yeah. And that God is going to one day make all things right. And we just have to hold on until then. And... um Honestly, another thing would just be making make sure that you run to God. Mm. Don't shy away from God, even when you're angry with Him. Because yeah. in my life, a lot of the times I have um, I've been angry with God, and I found that the best thing that you can do if you're angry with God is to just tell God that you're angry with Him. Exactly. Uh, David, don't David did that a lot. He did. Uh, the you can see David's. Uh, emotional struggles with God throughout the whole book of Psalms. Um, but if you're frustrated, if you're angry, if you're in despair over your suffering, bring that to God. Mm. Don't shy away from him. Um, because the worst thing you can do is just bury that down inside and try to deal with it yourself. Um, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and I will give you rest. Yeah. And, um, and that's what we should do, even if we're angry with God in the moment. So Exactly. It's it's casting those burdens and those cares onto God because He can bear them. And yes. we can't. And a final thing I would say would also be just make sure that you surround yourself with a community of people that are gonna encourage you. Yeah. Um, because we can't make it through suffering on our own. Uh it's something that we all have to do together. Um, so find friends that will support you in your suffering and also support friends in their suffering. Yes. Because, uh, the best thing that we can do is, is be there for each other and bear one another's burdens. Um, and sometimes we don't, we like to talk about that, but we don't necessarily live it out. And, um, we just have to make sure that we are being faithful to love one another well and bearing their burdens, and then being vulnerable with each other when we need help, yeah, and when we feel discouraged. Exactly. That is great advice. Um, Ethan, thank you again so much for coming on to the podcast. Would you like to pray for us to close out? Of course. Thank you for having me. Of course. Father, we come before you today, and we pray that you would just help each and every one of us, whatever we may be going through, Uh, whatever trials or storms that uh, come up in life, remind us, Lord, that there is an end uh, to our pain and to our suffering, that we will reach the shore. Remind us of the hope of heaven and remind us of 
your goodness and your love for us. We pray that you'd help us to love one another well, and we pray that you would help us to encourage one another and to be vulnerable with each other. And in everything that we do, that we would bring you our concerns, bring you our worries and our fears and our anxieties and our anger, and just that you would remind us of your faithfulness in the midst of even some of the most difficult trials. We thank you for who you are, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, Ethan, it has been excellent. Thank you again. Thank you. I was quite pleased when Ethan said that he would come onto the podcast, even though he was at first nervous to tell a story. He told me that he felt prompted and that it was something he needed to do because he thought I could be an encouragement to some people, which I know is true because it was encouraging to me and I'm sure to many of you all listening as well. So our thanks again to Ethan for coming on to the podcast. As always, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review it on whatever platform you're using. And follow us on social media. We have links in the description down below. You can email us directly with comments or questions at spiritlivingpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to share it with other people to help it grow and get this encouraging message out to more people. But that's all we've got this week. Kale and I will be back next week, and you'll hear from us then. Shalom. Shalom.